Who am I? Why am I here? Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. I shall not seek and I will not accept the nomination of my party for another term as your president. Tear down this wall. And the wall just got 10 feet taller. We're going to California and Texas and New York. And we're going to South Dakota and Oregon and Washington and Michigan. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. Ah! From the poli-sci department at Bethel University, it's a confusing election shock therapy. What happened? Oh, my word. I need some talk therapy. About Iowa results. <laughs> uh, let's not say we did. Iowa, come on. So normally we had this uh, on the schedule to have a, a podcast and break down the results of the Iowa caucuses and talk about what to look forward to in New Hampshire and maybe a little bit of a previous State of the Union tonight. And instead, wow. uh, the Florida bug jumped up and bit Iowa Big time. And we're just going to spend just a couple of minutes. We don't have a lot to say to you yet. So we're going to take a few minutes just right now and explain what the heck happened in Iowa. And I'm using heck because that's strong language in Iowa. So um, <laughs> first of all, uh, joining me here uh, in the poli department are... Andy Bramson. And I did live in Iowa for nine months. Matt Kukum. Did you live in Iowa? No, I did not. And I'm Sam Mulberry and I'm... Grew up in southern Minnesota, which is kind of like, like Iowa. Iowa <laughs> and I'm Chris Moore, and despite our plans for a road trip last podcast, I still have never been to Iowa. If I had, I might have intervened in this hot mess of a caucus. You know, I'm so glad we didn't road trip. Yeah. yeah. In retrospect. <laughs> that would have been terrible. We would really still be there. Yeah. We would still be there. All right, so let's start out with, with the basics. Uh, Dr. Kukum, how is a caucus supposed to work? <laughs> Not well, what happened, but what should have happened. Yeah, so what, what happens typically and the way Iowa's worked for, for several decades is, again, everyone across some 1,700 precincts basically goes to their local elementary school, uh, church gymnasium. They meet together with people from their precinct, and they gather in a room, and they put themselves into different parts of the room based off of who they support. Right. And then the candidates that res- – that meet the viability threshold within that precinct which those, is 15% which is 15% this year those can those people can then go home if they want because mm-hmm. their vote is locked in that's the way it, it worked this year mm-hmm. and then everyone else who voted for a candidate who didn't meet that viability threshold then has to go to another part of the room and it gets interesting because you don't really know what the second choice a lot of a lot of these um, caucus right. goers is right and so <laughs> Um, typically the Iowa caucuses take two to three hours total, um, mm-hmm. because people, you know, sort themselves into different parts of the room. They're trying to persuade each other. They're learning things about the candidates. There are advocates for the candidates They're, in the room making the case for exactly. them. Exactly. And these results are event, you know, ultimately conveyed to, um, to a central location where they are all tabulated and then the results are, are released. Um, and the process historically has been, um, has been quite confusing. I mean, you read accounts of people who are participating in the Iowa caucuses. They're like, it's long, it's confusing, you don't know exactly what's going on. But in the end, it's always consistently produced um, a vote total that people understand. Like, mm-hmm. well, X number of people voted for, you know, Hillary Clinton or for Bernie Sanders, you know, previous mm-hmm. time. Around. Right. What's different about this time is that they decided to use a different reporting mechanism um, to use um, an app. And so mm-hmm. the basically the coordinator at each precinct had access to an app that they were supposed to use <laughs> to report the results. The problem is this app apparently um, was put together um, 
It was paid for by the Democratic Party of Correct. Iowa. Yes. Um, and apparently, we're reading now um, that um, election security um, you know, analysts were basically asking questions about, well, has this app been tested? Who actually designed the app? And the Democratic Party of Iowa said, mm. well, we're, we're not going to release any information. Just rest assured, it's going to be just fine. They didn't even release the name of the app prior to its usage because they were right. trying to keep information about the app really tightly under wraps. Right, which right. makes sense because you um, you know, don't want to have to worry about hackers, for example, hacking right. the results within the app. Uh, but it turns out <laughs> that this has come back to bite them um, because yeah. this app was really never tested in sort of real-world circumstances in a rigorous way. And so basically a lot of the reason we don't have results is because um, the, the app has crashed. There were reports of the precinct coordinators that weren't able to use that, like log into the mm -hmm. app to actually report the data or the data itself um, had errors in it right. um, or there was human error in reporting the data and there was a backup basically phone system that you could use to call <laughs> in the results, but apparently that got bogged down as well. And so, yeah, it's just a one gigantic mess and it's um, yep. basically um, calling into question sort of the credibility of the whole Iowa caucus system, right. which already was becoming more unpopular within Iowa itself just because of how it's not representative of, at all. It, there's relatively mm -hmm. low participation. It's a very sort of arcane and cumbersome um, way of choosing um, choosing your candidate. I want to get to that in a second. Yeah. But first, I'm going to throw in a couple more just uh, parameters to this whole thing. And in addition to using the app, which has failed spectacularly uh, to report this data, <laughs> Iowa also added a level of complexity to the data they were reporting this right. year. Typically in the past, Iowa has only reported the final allocations of voters, which means that they wouldn't have reported those people underneath the 15% threshold. They'd wait till they resorted themselves after determining viability, and then they would report the final stats, as well as how many, uh, how many delegates were actually awarded. This year, they decided to report both rounds, mm -hmm. so they would actually get... People whose uh, people's initial choices and then people's second choices. And to be a poli sci nerd here for a second, this is basically ranked choice voting in action, right? Mm -hmm. This is a, a two-stage ranked choice vote with right. people actually voting with their feet in their mm -hmm. local gymnasiums or, or churches or, or whatever. So there's a level of complexity in the reporting itself yep. that was uh, one issue. And then um, in addition to that, there's there was a series of relatively odd um, responses by the candidates themselves, even <laughs> as this process was unfolding. So I want to right. explore that as well. But um, this was, uh, this is a huge problem for Iowa. Um, is this a, uh, does Iowa lose its place as the first primary slash caucus in the country as a result of this? Well, I mean, it, it depends on what happens. Um, you know, if, if the results, um, you know, are released, all the results are released within the next 24 hours. I mean, if you just think about a scenario in which the Democrat, um, whoever the Democratic candidate is, goes on to win the general election, and then really the Iowa caucuses don't really come into play for another eight sure. years. By, you know, that's a lot of water under the bridge. Mm -hmm. You might see some, you know, tweaks and some reforms. Maybe they can iron out the problems with the app by then. Um Hopefully, theoretically. But I would be surprised. But I should also add, too, yeah. uh, there is mm -hmm. a real benefit. One thing they did get right this year, and there's not much they got right, but one thing they did get right is they decided to also have paper ballots 
um, at all 1,700 precincts this year. Mm-hmm. So at least we know that based on the, based on the fact yeah. that those precinct captains are going to hold on to those, we will eventually get the right numbers because right. they have them. We're not relying just on the app. We're not going to have to end up canceling the Iowa caucuses. Right, right, right. And, and, they, and they have other backups. But, but I, mean, I think there is a real chance that this yep. does lead to the demise of the Iowa caucus, which would mean they would lose almost certainly their first in the nation status because New Hampshire is the first primary Iowa's a caucus. Um, and New Hampshire, by law, by state law, has mm-hmm. positioned themselves to have the first primary. So Iowa would probably have to concede that one. And if they were going to switch to a primary and go later in the process. I mean, caucuses are messy, right? And I think mm-hmm. when you think about broad, broader trends in our, our society, right, we are increasingly becoming a, a society where we're more disconnected from each other. We're less connected in our communities. Um, and <coughs> what that means functionally, right, is people just want to kind of get in, get out, and get on with their life for their kind of democratic duty. And primary is much easier. I mean, I, and I will say, like, personal story, right, I, I caucused last time in Minnesota. Ours was a hot mess in 2016. It didn't matter as much because it was Super Tuesday. There were, you know, 14 states going, right? And we managed. I mean, we still got things in. But there were so many people, and they, they crowded for whatever reason. They crowded the Democrats and Republicans into the same place in Blaine, at Blaine High School. The backup was incredible. It took me 45 minutes to drive, you know, four miles to the local high school to caucus. Um, and then you had to go in there and try to find the right room. And they have all these, like, sort of really vague-looking maps apps on the wall. And I mean, I, you know, I'm a reasonably well-educated person, right? It was tricky to figure out. Like, the, So the information barriers are high. And then you end up in this crowded room where they had two different precincts in the same room. You have to get on the right side of the room. You fill out a paper ballot and you could just fill it out and leave. That was kind of nice. And unlike Iowa, where you, you pretty much have to stay for the duration. Um, but, you know, if you wanted to, like at that point, I was like, well, I'm, I came to the trouble of driving over here, parking, finding this room. I'm staying for the caucus. And so I did. So it was an interesting, like, civilian exercise. But at the same time, it is it is a higher barrier than just, like, going to my local polling place, which is half a mile from my house, walking in, filling out a ballot, and going home. Uh, which is much simpler, and doing that sometime in a 12-hour window instead of, no, you've got to show up between 7 and 8 p.m. So what is the advantage for the two states that do caucuses like this? What's the argument in favor of a caucus? I mean, I think it is that deeper engagement, and it gives the the party a chance to get more people involved in party organization. I mean, again, I I showed up and caucused in 2016. I'm not... Um, you know, a loyal party member. In fact, I voted in both parties, um, <laughs> you know, primaries or caucuses in the last few years um, in different at different moments, right? Um, but, you know, I, I had an incentive to stay because like, oh, I'm here. I'm going to help with this. I'm going to get involved. I wouldn't, like I won't, in 2020, Minnesota's running a primary. I'll show up in primary vote. I don't plan to caucus. Right. Um, because I don't have to now for my presidential vote. Um, in 2016, I did because they, they got me there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the big upside is you get people like that who are going to be, well, okay, I'll get a little more involved. Um, and you get you up the kind of level of citizen. Yeah, but the trade-off is, yeah, you might get a little bit more activism beyond the act of voting, yep. but then you drastically decrease the amount of people who actually participate in the voting process itself. I mean, right. you know, Absolutely. you look at Iowa Absolutely. and you have maybe on yep. average over the past you know decade, maybe 150,000 yep. people yep. participating in this. Yep. And there's, you know, absolutely many, many more, mm-hmm. um, you know, Democrats in the state of Iowa, yep. um, and so it's it's very low participation. Yeah. No, totally. And and I'll just again personal story here. My wife did not vote in the caucus in 2016 um, because it was like, are we going to pay for a babysitter? We can't. We have to both be at the same place for an hour. We're not taking you know three children over there at the time, right? Um, and so she just said, you know what, like you go do it. I'm not going to do it, right? Yeah. Um, now normally she votes. She's a real you know a consistent voter, but that bar was too high, and it was like we're not 
spending babysitter money so that you can go cast one vote, right? And right. and have to go through all this whole process. Um, she'll vote in the 2020 primary because, you know, again, we can all go over there and just cast it and go home. Yeah. And really, there's no argument for the benefit of caucuses providing rank choice voting methods either because right. you can use a rank choice voting method in in totally. a polling booth totally. right i mean there yeah. new york city is moving yeah. towards this right although, right. State, although to be clear no states do that for their presidential primaries. that is true yeah. but they that could. is true but but, but these rules are largely determined by parties themselves right? exactly um and so mm -hmm. this is something and even state level parties correct yeah state level mm -hmm. parties yeah. um so you could so, totally do that if you said like yeah. 20 percent is the cutoff to get delegates right then we reallocate the votes of people who don't hit that to their second choices mm -hmm. until they find a candidate who is in the, you know, who's, who's cleared the bar. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you get most of the benefits without all yeah. of the costs. The, I mean, I think the, the loss is that kind of community connection, right? That's mm -hmm. what you're getting in the caucus where you actually are, you're not just expressing your preference. You are actually going and looking in Mrs. Smith's eyes, right? And you're saying, okay, why, why are you voting for Pete Buttigieg? Why am I voting for Joe Biden, right? Um, and you're having, you're actually having to have those conversations. That's something we're losing, but I just think the way our society is, we are losing that. And yeah. and I think the Iowa caucus may well go away. It's worth noting that the two states that still retain this caucus system are comparatively low population yep. states. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And Nevada being the other one. Exactly. Right. right. Uh, Nevada doesn't have time to change their system between now and, and their caucus. And they're tentatively planning on using the same app. Are stay they really? Tuned. Yes. I was wondering about that. Okay, yeah. so stay this tuned. I'm sure P there's a number of very serious <laughs> conversations in Nevada right now. Analog versus digital. Yeah. Yes. Yep. We should say, to be clear, there's no reports that this is um, external malfeasance That's right. on the part of any foreign party. Uh, this is an in, uh, a, a true and true internal screw up on part of the uh, Iowa Democratic Party and this app provider, yeah. um, whom I'm guessing there will be some litigious uh, behavior between. <laughs> um, uh, heads are going to roll. I like the idea that Vladimir Putin is involved somehow, but I don't think he is. Well, speaking of Vladimir Putin, let me just end oh, with good. this. Uh, I'm the international <laughs> relations guy here. And this is a very fun story. It's a little bit funny. It's especially funny because we're Minnesotan and we like to look askance at our neighbors to the we south. Do. Oh, yes. But the State of the Union address is tonight, which will capture mm -hmm. a new cycle or two. Mm -hmm. And then we have, we're off to New Hampshire by this weekend yeah. for the next yep. primary. Is this really a tempest in a teapot? Uh, does this, is this a really meaningful story that Iowa couldn't get its results out? Or... Um, is this is this something that is good fodder for Twitter, good fodder for cable news, and will very quickly be forgotten? Well, maybe ask that question for next week's podcast. But my initial thought is, I mean, obviously, this is going to potentially change the sort of narrative that comes out of Iowa, right? So typically, in Iowa, even yeah. in a close race, you would have some confidence in the results. Um, and you would get those results, you know, the night of the caucuses themselves, which yep. allows, you know, the media and, you know, the, the talking heads to establish some sort of narrative about, you know, who's won, who won the expectation games, how has this set us up for New Hampshire. Um, and now, you know, any benefit that, a, you know, a front runner might accrue or any disadvantage, um, yep. you know, whoever got third and fourth, put, it just muddies all of that. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. Um, and that and, and given how much of these candidates' strategies have revolved around investing in Iowa, oh, that's a really big deal, it's right? Huge. It's a huge deal. It's huge. By the way, this also, I don't know. I mean, 
We don't know yet who won the Iowa caucuses, but in some ways, this is a win for Bloomberg, oh, right? Yeah. Um, because mm, because he has for Bloomberg. <laughs> this is. Like, I mean, I'm not in conspiracy theories, but like, did he pay off someone to like screw up the app? I don't actually think that, but but I mean, Ooh, this works for him, right? I like that one, though. Um, because <laughs> again, he is bank. He hasn't campaigned at all in these yeah. these first four yeah. states. He is yeah. banking yeah. on he's banking doing Super well Tuesday. in Super Tuesday, which is in, coming up in, in about a, in a month. high population states, right? Yeah. And and now that the Iowa results are muddied, that sort of pushes things back a week. Um, it means that whatever yeah. advantage a candidate could yeah. get from you know outright winning Iowa or even nearly winning Iowa, that kind of goes away potentially. Um, and so. Um, yeah, kind of kind of a win for Bloomberg, depending on how the things pan out, especially mm-hmm. if we see that Joe Biden and his, yeah. you know, had a weak performance in Iowa. Um, that would mm-hmm. be another sort of boost uh, to the Bloomberg candidacy because he's seen way, as a potential, yeah. you know, yeah. moderate sort of, you know, mainstream mm-hmm. alternative mm-hmm. to Joe Biden. And the other way to think about this, I mean, I think it, it makes I, mean, I do think it makes Iowa have much less of an impact. Right. I think they're not going to matter as much because we all were sort of waiting, waiting, waiting. It's supposed to come. It's supposed to come. It hasn't come. And now it's just going to be kind of like, eh, OK. Um, and then you will get, I mean, State of the Union's tonight, impeachment vote is Wednesday. Like, how much, how much impact does Iowa make? And I just don't know that it makes that much. Everyone's moved on from Iowa. They're literally, have moved on from Iowa. They're not there mm-hmm. to give victory speeches in front of a cheering crowd, right? I mean, maybe they make a point of it to their people in New Hampshire, but now they're focusing on New Hampshire. So in some ways, it's one less sort of, you know, marker before we get to Super Tuesday. Well, and here's the flip side of what you were saying about Bloomberg. So what does this mean for people who dumped all of their resources oh. into Iowa oh. then to say like, well, it doesn't like it really, yeah. really doesn't matter. There's like yeah. like that's what does that oh. do to those campaigns who don't have Mike, Bloom, Mike Bloomberg's resources yeah. it's, without it's without without yeah. drifting too far into punditry here? Yeah, I think this really hurts Amy Klobuchar. Yep. Who, who doesn't have a lot of money and yep. who spent a lot of it in Iowa yep. and who probably won't do great in New Hampshire. No. It probably, on on the whole, is a wash or maybe helps Bernie Sanders because Bernie had project, been projected to do quite well in Iowa. Mm-hmm. So he, he can only underperform his expectations. And he's going to do well in New Hampshire. He's probably going to win New Hampshire. Yeah. And yeah. With those two things combined, if yeah. he did worse than expected in, in Iowa, it, you can bury the news. It probably hurts Pete Buttigieg a little bit, who was hoping that there would be a yeah. big splash in Iowa, to the extent that with very little public information available, he's mm-hmm. declaring victory in Iowa. Yeah. Now, to be clear, we don't know why he's declaring victory. The only <laughs> supposition is he's either making it up or... More likely, he has internal polling, which indicates yeah. he's going to do really well in Iowa. They have some internal numbers. I mean, because Sanders released some stuff, too. <laughs> I mean, the, and the numbers we saw, like, for entrance polls, which, again, you have to, for, for the reasons Matt outlined earlier, you have to take with a, you know, noting that that's not where things, that's where things begin, not where they end up, right? But um, the entrance polls suggested that Sanders did well, but not spectacularly so, that Buttigieg outperformed expectations, that Klobuchar maybe slightly outperformed expectations, but nowhere near enough to get in the victory lane, and that Biden underperformed, yeah. and that Warren did about what she expected to. So um, I think that's what he's basing on. But yeah, I mean, like, you know, again, I was kind of keeping a little eye on 538's, you know, live blogging of it last night, and they were just like, he's giving a victory speech, and there are literally no numbers. Like, why is he doing this, right? Mm-hmm. But I mean, I think you have to think about for Pete Buttigieg. I mean, like he has stakes so much in Iowa. He doesn't have that great of numbers nationwide. I mean, so if he needed Iowa, right? And he mm-hmm. needs it to be a victory. And so he wanted to try to get whatever he could get out of it. But 
we'll see where it ends up. There is actually so five thirty eight um, ran some numbers. I'll just note this, and then um, is if if you didn't have Iowa, if it doesn't exist, right? They basically think it helps Biden a little bit, it hurts Sanders a little bit. Warren stays unchanged, and Buttigieg um, has almost no chance. Um, so, for what that's worth, can I just make one comment about? Uh, the financing of campaigns. Please. Sure. So I encountered this on on um, Sunday, which was Super Bowl Sunday, uh, as I was going around, going through my normal Super Bowl Sunday routines. This is this this is the greatest indicator of how much money Mike Bloomberg has to spend. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you if you, if any of you uh, saw this, but one of our family traditions on Super Bowl Sunday is to have the TV on to the Puppy Bowl uh, throughout the day on Animal Planet, wow. and there was a Mike Bloomberg puppy bowl specific ad where it was instead of like like you know new yorkers on the street talking about how great mike bloomberg is it was dogs talking about how great. yeah so he made a puppy bowl specific ad that's a lot of money to just be like Mm. sure we'll just make that too and just in case you're watching puppy bowl we might want you to know about this i mean he's i have to say there's something as a political scientist that's kind of exciting about what michael bloomberg is doing which is he's trying to see like can you buy it like, can you, you know, what can money buy? Can money buy an American presidential election? Can you just take your own fortune, dump it in? You're uncharismatic, <laughs> ancient white male from a part of the country that feels unrepresentative. Um, you're definitely, like, against the stream of kind of where your party is on some major issues. Can money overcome all that? Um, and I'm excited to see how far he's extended. Yeah, this is like the most the expensive bowl. experiment oh, ever, right? But but again, I mean, he's 77. He's got yeah. what 53, 57 billion. I mean, you know, give or take, right? Um, <laughs> what's what's he saying? Why, Why not? Why not? You're talking about real money, right? Yeah. yeah um, yeah. and I will just say, you might be thinking to yourself, dear listeners, well, what about Donald Trump, our current president? Donald Trump in 2016 spent a surprisingly small yeah. amount of yeah. his own personal fortune running Very for small. president because of his notoriety, because mm-hmm. of his celebrity yep. status. Yep. He got an enormous amount of free advertising. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In fact, if you look at the numbers that candidates typically spend on advertising, numbers are incredibly skewed. Donald Trump didn't spend that much money nope. on of his own money on advertising because he got so much free media. Yep. Um, in his coverage. <laughs> and Bloomberg is taking the opposite tact here. So they, in that way, they really are different. I will pitch in, though. Um, the Bloomberg, I, I kind of, if I'm going to work for somebody, I kind of want to work for Bloomberg. Yeah. Not because I support his ideas or his agenda. <laughs> his uh, campaign staffers are getting paid really well. Oh. So that money isn't just going to commercials, Sam. Uh, they've, in, in the first, in this last quarter, they dropped yeah. over 10 grand on just sushi. Well, I was going to say, um, is it just catering, but wow. just sushi? Just sushi. I'm talking about, you know, campaign pizzas yeah. and that kind of stuff. And uh, a lot of his uh, higher level staffers are getting paid really well, like wow. six figures. Wow. Um, so this is this is a wow. very lucrative campaign for those involved in it as well. Here's the tab for the S-card. Go. Yeah, kind of makes me wish I majored in political science so I could have helped out. <laughs> you got it, buddy. Yeah. All right. We got to go. Um, we'll uh, be paying attention to the State of the Union tonight. We'll be checking in with you soon to see if anything interesting got said there. Spoiler alert, probably not. Um, and uh, we'll see what we know next week this time. Maybe from <laughs> Iowa, maybe from New Hampshire as well. On behalf of my – oh, you can always get in touch with us at um, electionshocktherapy at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you have any hot tips on uh, things going on in Iowa, feel free. We'd love to break <laughs> some news here. And in all seriousness, uh, thanks for listening to us, and we'll see you next time. Go Royals. Go Royals.